Good evening, afternoon, morning, night. Um, whenever you find your way to watch or listen to this. Yes, it's been a while. Yes, it's about to be week four of the college football season. And yes, hardware is back. Uh, I'm joined always by my co-host and good friend Jackson. And I mean, Jackson, you're wearing the uh, you're wearing the NFL on the, the sidelines hat. I had no idea. This is how much I've been out of the game, you know, out in the, the wilderness and desert of California. It looks like a regular NFL hat, but they just added a division banner, you know. So, I mean, I, I don't think it would have been worth my investment. It, you know what? I kind of regret it. It was way too much on Fanatics. It's not even like one of the like super nice ones. It's it's a little bit flimsy, but you know what? It's comfortable. It, it add, as you said, the division banner, and it's got the nice shield on the side. Uh, it's not PFTs uh, from, from Barstool's fit that I sent you on Instagram. It has like a, just an epic like NFL shield hat and then like a shirt with all 32 teams. If I could find it, I'd probably buy it. But uh, but hey, this will work. So lo- love the very comfortable, not worth uh, 30 bucks, which is why I paid for this one. So. Yeah, I mean, for sure, uh, this hat definitely not close to 30 bucks. A thrift store purchase Providence Bruins for uh, our AHL fans. So hopefully we attract a new crowd to this podcast, uh, minor league <laughs> hockey fans. But um, with that being said, you know, we're back. It's been a while. I've been in the desert, you know, trying to find myself as a man. No, just kidding. I was paying my dues back to Uncle Sam. Uh, To be honest, I mean, what a wild week. Week three was my first week of watching college football, uh, you know, in in a way that I wanted that I was able to watch and just monitor most of the action. Uh, To be honest with you, uh, I'm surprised, Jackson, that you're wearing a uh, a Buccaneers hat, given um, the I guess sort of there's a certain school that plays at Raymond James Stadium. They gave the Florida Gators trouble this past Saturday. So I'm, I'm quite surprised. And you got to throw that in there that they rent Raymond James out uh, every every other Saturday. But, yeah, man, um, that, that was a tough game to watch. Did not anticipate USF of all schools being a, a stressful game. But, hey, it's all love. My mom, uh, my uh, my mom grew up in in St. Pete, right in the Tampa area. Right. My cousin actually went to USF. So all love for the Bulls. Um, but, uh, but glad that was over way too stressful. If you know what I'm talking about, if you watch the game, that kick that was missed by USF, it's a miracle. It was that close with how bad the snap was botched. Like that was insane that he barely missed it when not only were the laces facing him, they barely got held on time. So it was awesome to see USF's kicker, you know, miss it, thankfully, but just how awesome of a kick that was. I could I could really appreciate that. And sigh, a sigh of relief. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I was surprised by the result, too. But that just shows that Jeff Scott has um, South Florida on a great trajectory out there in the American. And granted, a weaker American, not just – I mean, not just in the, in the coming years when Cincinnati um, – who else? U- UCF. And who's the last school? Houston end up leaving for the Big 12. Uh, but I mean, just a weekend American, which we'll talk a little bit in detail if you watch uh, Monday Night Football Bowls and Booze, which is also back um, this yesterday. Then you would, I mean, we talked a little bit about this weekend American, but uh, I'm excited to get started. Before we kick off, Jackson, you have anything, uh, anything else to add? You mentioned Bowls and Booze. I do want to kind of promote that for a second. If you don't already know the story behind it, Omar and I personally hated the halftime show that ESPN was putting on every week. We decided to just talk bowl games instead of listen to Adam Schefter and then put it on Instagram, right? So we do a live stream. If you're watching the Manning cast, watching uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, hey, pull up Instagram if you're not already on it uh, during the game. At halftime, we'll talk about usually go a little bit into the first quarter or into the or usually go a little bit into the second half. Rather, uh, we talk a little bit of analytics from MNF and then we just talk bowl games and uh, enjoy a, a drink or two with it usually as well. So, yeah, exactly. So uh, it's a fun time. You know, if you know, if you know me, if you've seen my writing, you know, shameless plug, uh, you know that I love writing about the bowl races and it's it started it started today, you know, um, uh, I'm already I'm already like beginning like the preliminary ideas for bowl games for my for my writing. So, you know, just love talking bowl games because it's more than what happens on the field. It's also geography and, and whatnot. So uh, without further ado, um, if you watched our week zero and week one pre-recorded previews, we uh, began our podcast by continuing our grand um, partnership with the HBCU Pigskin Showdown, which if you're not aware, 
uh, has a national television uh, contract now with the NBC Family Networks. It will be broadcast on CNBC at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I think 1 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central uh, on the opening Saturday of bowl season. So it's a great event, you know, a great showcase for HBCU All-Stars and a little bit of a, of a, of a palette wetter uh, for, you know, I guess, leading into the HBCU Legacy Bowl, because I believe like there is a double digit amount of at least a double digit amount of players that went from the HBCU Pigston Showdown to the Legacy Bowl on the broadcast on NFL Network. Uh, one of those players that went from the uh, the showdown to the Legacy Bowl was uh, our, our friend of the podcast, Neil Boudreaux, who did not hesitate to remind me when I sent him an NFL meme that the Giants are 2-0. and so uh, also a huge surprise. I know, I know, I know, Jackson. I know your girlfriend's. Uh, I know, I know uh, I'm sorry, not girl, fiance. I know, I know Izzy. I hope she didn't hear that. I know Izzy is a is excited probably that the Giants are two and zero. But um, yeah, sorry, that was a, that was a long aside to say that we are continuing our partnership by selecting a HBCU Pigskin, excuse me, Player of the Week who will be the player to watch for the coming week. So uh, our one. So I guess um, Jackson, you want to start with your one player or or. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'll start with my uh, with my HBCU Pigskin Showdown Player of the Week to watch. Uh, first of all, another note about the about the Pigskin Showdown. It was announced earlier this week that the Greater New Orleans All Star Band is going to play at the halftime show. 170 members going to be featured on NBC Sports, so we're not just going to watch Maria Taylor and Tony Dungy at halftime, Ryan. Hopefully, they'll pull out all the stops for our friends over there. But um, but uh, but yeah, we'll get to see the band. Something I know is always awesome to see during the Celebration Bowl. Maybe they'll even throw Mickey Mouse out there again. So we'll we'll see that. <laughs> no, no, Omar is saying no. Please but, uh, no. <laughs> I saw that in person, and I was very confused. <laughs> Yeah, man. But uh, I want to, for my player of the week to watch, I'm going to shout out the the East-West Shrine Bowl to uh, for bringing him to my attention because I was not aware. Andrew Farmer II, the defensive end from Lane College, a Division II HBCU, he leads not just HBCUs, leads all of Division II in TFLs. He's averaging 4.7 per game. And this isn't a fluke either. Over the past 13 games, he's had 13 sacks and 32 TFLs. This is a big sample size. That is a whole season. And he's still putting up that kind of production, which is insane. Uh, the, their quarterback, Michael Huntley, hasn't looked bad on the other side of the ball either. So Vyron Brown is, is putting together some great stuff. And if you follow HBCU football, you know, close, especially at the D2 level, I'm sure you already know the name, but man, Andrew Farmer, the second has been killing it out there. I just want to bring some attention to him. Yeah. And I got to say like Lane College, uh, Jackson, I'm really impressed with uh, with not only your selection of Lane College, but even more impressed with your selection from the Shrine Bowl 1000. You know, could this be that your favorite All-Star game is now the East-West Shrine Bowl? Could it be? Say it ain't so. <laughs> Once they get a, a Mars candy like partnership, maybe it'll be a little oh, bit God. easier for me to say that, but gotta stay loyal to Jim Nagy for now. Fair enough. I mean, well, if you look at Lane College, like that is a team that is on the rise out there in the SEAC. Um, they they played Arkansas Pine Bluff, they played them very well. Uh, they were leading 21-20 at halftime of that game, ended up losing only 48-42. to So it's only natural that their offense gets attention. They got their first win last week against Clark Atlanta University at home. They play Edward Waters uh, this weekend at home. So we're looking at potentially a 2-2 two and two Lane College team before they head to Nashville to play Eddie George in uh, Tennessee State. So uh, definitely a great pick there, Jackson. Uh, uh, I got to say for my player of the, of the week, uh, for those years, um, when you look at the HBC landscape, there is a couple classics that sort of caught the uh, the eyes of, I guess, uh, of black college football. And uh, I mean, yeah, I guess black college football in the FCS landscape where you had the biggest one, of course, being the uh, HBCU NY, uh, NYC um, football classic out at MetLife Stadium, had a strong showing. Spike Lee led the Morehouse Maroon Tigers out of the tunnel. A very electric moment. Uh, unfortunately, the Maroon Tigers are not electric on the field as they ended up losing by 30-plus to Howard. So that game was had most of the eyes of, I guess, the HBCU or the Black College Football Nation uh, had the pulse of that, of that group. 
And then also, too, you had out there in a, a statement game out there at the former house at the former home of the Rangers, the house that Alex Rodriguez built Choctaw Stadium or Choctaw yeah, Choctaw Stadium. Uh, you had Texas Southern blank Southern in a very surprising result for a lot of SWAC fans and a lot of black college football fans. But also, Myron, that was a was a rivalry out there in the Tidewater region in Virginia. You had Norfolk State hosting Hampton and in a hard fought game, Hampton won 17 to seven. And they had a strong performance, of course, keep in mind our players to watch our players of the week and to watch our seniors so these are guys that you may see um on december come december up december 18th yeah sorry i forgot to count yes no december 17th come december 17th so my guy is a grad transfer from villanova quashing Townsell, who had eight tackles and two tackles for loss against hampton the defense looked great uh, only allowed seven points to Norfolk State. Granted, this is Norfolk State team that just lost Jawan Carter, Deshaun Dixon, a bunch of other pieces, but still had a, I mean, still a strong team out of the MIAC. Um, great performance at Townsville, but to say the least, he'll have his work cut out for him this week um, as they play Delaware in a game that I'll talk about later on uh, a lot more in detail. So, uh, Quashing Townsville and uh, Jackson's pick, I mean, I'm, I'm, the name's already escaping me, are our players, uh, players of the week to watch. Andrew Farmer, Andrew Farmer. So, yeah, man, um, I hopefully we see him out there on December 17th uh, for the for the HBCU Pigskin Showdown. Hope even more so that we see him, hey, come, you know, late, maybe uh, later in the night on a uh, the last Saturday next April, right? Maybe hopefully his name called. If not, if he doesn't sneak in and day through the draft, hey, hopefully, a, you know, a UDFA signing, right? That's always the goal for these guys. So, um, so yeah, I know our, our friends at the Pickskin Showdown can help make that happen, especially with the, uh, with the NBC partnership. So um, we'll go ahead and move on to our top three performers of week three of the college football season. I think we've both got three guys we kind of wanted to bring some attention to, at least for me, they're all on the offensive side of the ball. I'll start off. I've got Nick Baker, man, the quarterback from Southern Illinois, a huge win versus Northwestern. I know the Nebraska losses kind of put that Northwestern win uh, versus Nebraska and Dublin kind of into perspective, but still, man, anytime you get a big 10 win, I don't care who it is. If you're Southern Illinois, it means a lot Uh, versus Northwestern 23 for 34, 241 yards, three touchdowns, another one on the ground and only one pick. I'll be honest, I wasn't really caught up on my Southern Illinois football, and I, I am aware that they are one and two. It's not because of Nick Baker, man. Um, in 2021, just to kind of a little bit of perspective on it, they were eight and five, right? So this isn't a team that is used to having a losing record. They had a road win at South Dakota, a pretty tough place to play, especially in the playoffs. He's a school record holder for passing yards and the second most uh, passing touchdowns in school history uh but man even better he's the mountain valley football conference uh our mountain valley um uh uh, no sorry mountain valley missouri valley my bad my bad all right uh (laughs) missouri valley uh president's academic excellence award winner and it was also on the mvfc all academic team something that uh that, you know, obviously is something that will carry him long after football. Uh, for all you baseball fans, he has a .452 batting average when he played baseball in high school. I don't know baseball. I read that that's pretty good. So uh, we talk a lot about dual sport athletes, even if it is just on the high school level. Guys like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, something to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge win. And honestly, I always like one of my rooting interests in college football is the academic schools, which, um, you know, they will get a heavy dose of, uh, of discussion from me in this podcast. But I, I really hope that uh, Pat Fitzgerald is not falling apart in Northwestern because he has done one of the most impressive coaching jobs of the millennium, excuse me, of the millennium for Northwestern. But Nick Hill, you know, what, what, what a great win for, uh, excuse me, for Southern Illinois. But you hope that this can be the springboard for them going into Missouri Valley play because, so many of these teams look good. I mean, North Dakota looked good. North Dakota had a huge win this weekend. North Dakota State may have narrowly lost to Arizona, but there's still North Dakota State. Um, who else? South Dakota State, of course, is still there. Mark Ronowski had a year to sit behind Crystal Adokin. Uh, that team is still electric. Plus, they still got Isaiah Davis, you know, the uh, the guy who introduced himself to the country in the 2021 FCS championship game. Uh, and there's so many more, like Bobby Petrino and Missouri State gave 
Arkansas run for their money, like almost beat Arkansas in Bobby Petrino's comeback to uh, to Fayetteville. Like you hope they can springboard, but I mean they they got a tough road ahead of them for sure. Like the NBC NBFC is such a great conference. Um, so my my top performances, you know, knowing me, would it be anyone else but Tyrell Robinson? Tyrell Robinson had six carries for eighty nine yards from the slot back position, but it's not what he did on the ground, but it's what he did in the return game that was truly transcendent. He had the first punt return touchdown. Punt or kick return touchdown for Army since 2007 with a with a scintillating 73 yard return and to make things even better he fist bumped a 1965 graduate his name escapes me who uh, was a was a prisoner of war in Vietnam and um, yeah so very uh, just a very warm like heartwarming moment Army's one and two now uh, if you look at Army you know a lot of their I guess the remain out of their remaining uh, nine games they should be favored in seven out of the last nine so uh, the 0 and two start. Not much, um, I guess, should not have alarmed a lot of fans. And Tyler Robinson kind of showed that with that with that electric punt return. I didn't realize it had been since 2007, man. And then you really had to. Oh, it's been forever. Been me been hating forever. by mentioning, a, you know, a, a Vietnam a POW. But yeah, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's that was awesome to see. Any, any special teams is, uh, is one third of the game, right? So anytime you can make a game changing play like that. Man, really, the um the win percentage, like from an analytics standpoint, man, I would really love to see like the win percentage probability, the a few of those tackles just before he reached the goal line, the EPA that that one play would put on alone, right? So, um, no, that that's awesome to see. Um, I'll go ahead. Speaking of the return game, this is uh, my guy has a little bit of experience in that too. Uh, Adu Hilaire, the wide receiver from Bowling Green. If you follow HBCU football, you might recognize the name. He played three three years at Alabama A and M. Uh, he played in this win versus Marshall that went into overtime, right? So a pretty exciting game. Randy Moss type numbers, man. Uh, four receptions, 79 yards and two touchdowns. This isn't his first experience in overtime this year. The game, the seven overtime game versus Eastern Kentucky. Uh, man, they did lose, but you had a couple two-point conversions because, you know, you have to do that in alternating, right, in the new college football rules and a touchdown in overtime. So a guy that's really relied on in crunch time uh, and obviously put up some big numbers in the win versus Marshall. Um, I mentioned special team experience. Haven't seen it so much in Bowling Green, but at Alabama and in 14 kicks for 283 yards and then seven punt returns for 79 yards. Anytime you can bring that to the table, even if it's not in the NFL, whether it's, you know, whatever level of football, anytime you can bring anything in the return game, it adds a lot and really, you know, ups your chances, right? Just because of the depth perception that requires the knowledge of the ins and outs of special teams, right? That that requires in order to be in the return game. It's not something any receiver, no matter how talented you are, you can just like jump in and do, uh, unless your name's Percy Harvin, probably. So elite speed. Um, he went to high school in the state of Florida, which, you know, produces some pretty elite athletes. He also ran track and field finished third in the state in 2018. So we know he has top level speed because that's not, not a gen, that is not just against like other athletes from like, you know, from HBCUs, from the uh, power or from the group of five, like, man, like that is like, there are like five stars that are probably also running track in the state of Florida. So it's awesome to see that he has that type of top level speed and something that will serve him well at the next level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, I think that win against, uh, against Eastern Kentucky or that win against Bowling Green got lost in translation um, through, you know, everything that happened over the weekend. I mean, especially with, uh, I, I guess everything else that happened in the Sun Belt whether it be South Alabama against UCLA with the near upset and the uh, the questionable fake field goal, which like hot take, I don't think it was that bad of a call. If it had worked, everyone would be saying it's genius because South Alabama would go up two scores against UCLA with three minutes to go. Game's over, you know? So, um, yeah, but I mean, got lost in translation, but it was a huge upset in the conference. I mean, I guess, I guess for the, I guess, yeah, involving the conference uh, with Marshall losing to, to former Mac conference mate, Bowling Green, so uh, very great win for the for the Falcons. Uh, the MAC is always bound, so we'll see where they stack up in MAC play later this year. I mean, it's just so hard to project out who's going to be like great in the MAC or who's going to win it. So, excuse me, my second player to watch is talk. If you like a good comeback story, you're going to like my next player, Luke McCaffrey. 
And if you uh, if you uh, if you're a casual fan, you may know you may remember Luke McCaffrey playing for Nebraska, had a few starts last year uh, for the Cornhuskers at quarterback. But now he's making a difference for Rice. And he started a couple games at quarterback last year for the Owls. But he's making a difference now as a receiver. He had 10 catches, 105 yards, and two touchdowns in an upset win over Louisiana. And this one is definitely an upset that was overlooked. Probably the biggest win of the weekend for all the group of five, for any group of five program, excuse me, or any program in FBS. Because Louisiana had a 15-game win streak riding going to that game. But they visited Houston and Rice upset them 33 to 21, wearing uh, some sweet throwback uniforms uh, for out, out there in Houston. So uh, Luke McCaffrey looks to be a good target. I mean, if you look at Rice's Rice's offense, Mike Bloomgren is a former Stanford uh, assistant, so they like to run the ball a lot. Uh, their workhorse, Ari Broussard, already has 51 carries in three games, averaging less than three yards a carry. And that's not a knock towards him, but that's just sort of like the ground and pound, three yards and, and a cloud of dust style of Rice. And for McCaffrey to get 10 catches for 100 yards in that scheme, very impressive for him, especially with the fact that he was a former quarterback. And instead of transferring, like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with entering the transfer portal. But the fact that he stayed and uh, was resilient and changed positions that out the team to be part of something special out there with, with Rice – Truly something uh, that's that's worth admiring. Absolutely, man. No, it is a, a guy that uh, we've talked about on the podcast before, especially throughout his time in Nebraska. Probably could use him over there right now, right? And it's looking pretty rough, uh, pretty rough there. But uh, but yeah, no, that's awesome to see a, a great win this past week, and definitely a guy. We'll hey, we'll keep tabs on the whole season, right? So. Um, my last guy uh, that I enjoyed watching over the weekend, Davius Richard, the quarterback from North Carolina Central. Man, he's quietly had a great year, but uh, really deserves some attention, especially for beating a ranked team. Uh, New Hampshire this past week was ranked number 25. He was 18 for 27, only 194 yards, but two touchdowns. What he really won was the run game, though. 16 rushes for 140 yards and another rushing touchdown. On the year, four touchdowns, just short of 600 yards, one pick, and then four more rushing touchdowns on the ground. So he's he's been killing it so far throughout, I believe, three games at this point. Uh, 6'3", 200, so like a very athletic guy, played four sports in high school. And last year, hey, he was all MIAC second team, right? So a guy that has been recognized and hopefully uh, continues to do so this year. Yeah, and I mean Davis Davis Richard would probably have been one of our or Richard would have been one of our um our our guys to watch for uh, the HBCU picks and showdown if he was a senior, but just shows the bright future that the North Carolina Central has. They have an easy game against Virginia Lynchburg, uh non-affiliated HBCU this week. Should be uh four and oh coasting. And keep in mind that win in the battle for Durham out there, not in Durham, North Carolina, but Durham, New Hampshire. Was and was North Carolina Central's first win against a ranked FCS opponent that was not North Carolina A&T. So a little bit of history there. Uh, but yeah, just a great job by, by Richard. Great game. Truly electric. Um, and yeah, hopefully he parlays a great junior year to getting some atten- some good attention like a, like a Quill Glass did in, uh, you know, his, uh, his spring season. You know, get some hype along with Felix Harper too. So so a uh, great performance by him. Uh, for my last guy, I'm going also at the FCS level. But uh, if you've listened to our podcast before, you would know how much that I loved EJ Perry. You know how much of an EJ Perry fan I am. How much I how much how I was early to the EJ Perry bandwagon. I will say in 2021 uh, after his great 2019 season. Well, his replacement. Honestly, the Brown offense has not skipped a beat. Now, if their defense can stop allowing so much points, that that would be great. But Jake Wilcox had an electric game against Bryant, who, uh, if you may, who if you uh, if you remember, almost beat Florida International on the road, but due to some bad re- due to some bad um some bad refereeing out there in in Miami, did not beat the uh, the Panthers. But Wilcox had 356 passing yards, three touchdowns, and three picks. I mean, just a great performance out there. And it looks like Brown's going to be in good hands this year and in the coming years at the quarterback position. Definitely, definitely, man. So, hey, a lot of guys that we enjoyed watching this past week. We're also going to – maybe they're not on our list for players to watch this upcoming week. But, wait, hey, we're going to keep our eyes on them, keep tabs on them the entire season, and hopefully – continue to wish them success uh we'll go ahead and move on to our players to watch that we're looking forward to coming up to this week specifically maybe for the matchups that they're going to be playing in right so uh my first guy asher o'hara the quarterback from sacramento state got a big game versus colorado state on the mountain west network this week 
Um, man, transferred from Middle Tennessee a couple years ago, though. He was, like, at Middle Tennessee, like, the third leading rusher in the nation, like, killing it in the ground game. Man, um, Asher is, is going against a pretty desperate team that's 0-3 and, and needs a win desperately, and this is – I haven't done the research. I'm guessing this is a paycheck game or at least a, a scheduled game that is, like, meant to be easier for Colorado State. It's a small sample size, but what we have for this season from him is awesome. 12 for 15, a little over 100 yards and two touchdowns. And then on the ground, 31 attempts, 167 yards and four touchdowns. And that's just through like two games. So he's killing it, going against a desperate team on the road, Mountain West Network. We'll see what he can do. So I'm, I'm excited to see uh, the, the damage that Sacramento State can do as a whole. Yeah, Astro O'Hara was absolutely electric with Middle Tennessee State. Um, not sure why he transferred, but I mean, fun, fun player to watch. Honestly, he's a bit on the smaller side, but I can I can definitely see him like thriving in, you know, starting off like I guess in the USFL or the XFL. Um, and you know, you know, kind of working his way up, kind of like a like a PJ Walker, a guy that kind of gets counted out because of his size, but really has so much talent and honestly is just you know, just finds a way to to win and and you know, get yards. Um so my first guy to watch for this week, um, <clears throat> so Oregon for the first time since 1915, Oregon State and Washington State are both 3-0. So I'm going to spotlight Chance Nolan, a, a quarterback for the, the quarterback of the Oregon State Beavers, having a solid year, 746 passing yards and seven touchdowns for 3-0 Oregon State. If you ask me, Jackson, no offense to you, this is no Florida hate, but I feel like it would have been so much better for game day to go to Oregon State USC, just given the stakes because – if Oregon State ends up beating USC, um, we're thinking at least like they're on the uh, they're on a path to their first their first Rose Bowl since 1965, at least if not the playoff. So that is a huge game of the playoff race, especially with how good USC has looked uh, in the first few weeks of the season. So I mean, no hate, no hate, Jacks. I'm just saying it's like I feel like game day has been to Tennessee and Florida a lot. Yeah, Tennessee's resurgent, but it's like this is like. Honestly, the more unprecedented storyline and Chance Nolan's like at the head of it. A great experienced quarterback who just doesn't make many mistakes. Tennessee, Florida is like always early on in the year, right? And both Florida and Tennessee historically have been teams that have like very high hopes that doesn't always work out. And like this isn't they aren't always the teams of like the like Warfel and Manning era where like these two like this is a deciding game for the national championship in September like it's not necessarily like that anymore these teams like should be like at minimum undefeated going into this game I know Florida dropped the game to Kentucky earlier this year earlier this year but like still high hopes for the SEC East so I was a little confused by this by the decision um which is you know if, if anyone's happy about it it's me but like I still don't quite get why they chose I thought it would be either like USC Oregon State Again, that's probably where it should be, but like Oregon State isn't ranked somehow. I don't know why, but um, so like kind of ruled that out in this scenario. And then especially with it being on the road, Oregon State and then Kansas Duke, I believe, is another one that a lot of people have talked about, talked about. But um, but yeah, man, I'm excited to see still watching stuff. But uh, but yeah, I'm actually going to talk about Oregon State USC a little bit later. So we'll, we'll, we'll go over that a little bit more in depth, but keep, keep telling, keep telling us about your guy. Yeah, no, that's, that's all I had for Chance Nolan. I mean, Chance Nolan had a good year last year, had, I think 19 touchdowns. That was before the bowl game, like 19 touchdowns, like single digit picks, doesn't make many, many mistakes. Oregon State had a solid run game last year with BJ Baylor, BJ Baylor since departed. Now they, they still have a solid run game, but I'm excited to see what they can do in the North because as it looks, I mean, Oregon looks kind of vulnerable um, with a, especially with the blowout loss to Georgia. Uh, I think, I think uh, Oregon's win over BYU is more of an indictment of BYU than it is a uh, statement for Oregon uh, given. And it, and in the long run, I think honestly, like more statement of Georgia than it is anything about Oregon. I, I still think Oregon is still vulnerable in the Pac-12 North. So at the very least we could have an Oregon team, an Oregon state team that ends up with like one or two losses with a chance to still play for the Rose bowl um, come in, in Las Vegas on, a, on the first Friday night of December. So excited for Chance Nolan. He's going to be the heart and soul of, of, uh, of that charge. We're getting sidetracked here, but just a quick question. I want to get your opinion about this, but BYU, 
Um, BYU is coming off of a very late, very lengthy physical game versus Baylor. Dave Miranda obviously is a coach that is known for being tough on defense, being tough on running the ball, and being a very physical, like prides himself in having a physical team. And then Oregon comes in a very fast team, a very fast pace, maybe not always like the toughest, but like well wear you out eventually if you aren't Georgia. Do you think if it had been BYU Oregon in week two and then BYU Baylor in week three, we would see like a different result? Or do you think that it would have like Oregon really is that much better than BYU? I mean, shoot, I, I, th- I think that's a good point you bring up. Um, I, th- I think it may have been different, honestly. Now, as you say that, I think I think it may, may have been different, but it's just like, you know, it's such a stark conference, or a stark difference, like the styles of play. I mean, we know we know Oregon likes to likes to play fast now. Bo Nix looks really good. He looked really good in the system um, last week. Five touchdowns, five touchdowns, you know, he looked pretty crisp. So, I mean – Oh, next, yeah, I mean, boom, next man. Like every other week, he's gonna be up for the Heisman, and then you know, like all I right now. love Bo. Like no hate. It's just like we know who Bo Nix is, and like the ceiling is very, very high. So like, of course you're gonna take him. Of course you're gonna start him because you might get a five touchdown game. But like, it's the Jameis Winston college football man. We know who he is. He could he can win you games. He can also lose you them. That's all I'm gonna say. All right, yeah. I mean, shoot, I, I have nothing more to add, honestly. But uh, you kind of, kind of stumped me with that question. But uh, yeah, I, guess, I mean, we can go on to your, to your next guy. God. I didn't mean to stun you, man. I'm just saying my opinion on Bo Nix is a guy who's watched him for the past few years, as we all have. Um, I'll go ahead and go on a much later note. I think we can all agree on this one. This one isn't as controversial. Uh, Bishol Tutton, the running back from North Carolina, AT&T. He's got a big week, uh, big game coming up this week versus South Carolina State. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. But, uh, man, so far on the year, 13 carries, 133 yards. And he's popped off a couple that are almost 50 yards or over. Uh, or excuse me, that was in his last game on the season, 44 attempts, 280 yards. So just over a six yard average, right? Almost six and a half. And then Omar, what do I say every week? If you can't catch, you can't yeah, play. You can't play. Back. Exactly. Exactly. We got to put it on the t-shirt and credit MJD. Uh, 10 receptions for 58 yards, not half bad um, for a guy who's uh, or for a team that, that runs the ball a lot and that's their strength. So um, awesome to see Looking forward to watching Tutton this week. Yeah. I mean, NCNT strong lineage of running backs. You got uh Tariq Cohen, who I hope, I hope someday, you know, makes it back on NFL field. Truly, truly electrifying player. Who's been uh, haunted by injuries. And I just hope he can make it back. He's got John Main Martin who, uh, you know, was a star in 2019's uh, NCA and T squad had some trouble last year. But, I mean, still, like, a very solid player. Ended up – I think he ended up playing in the uh, HBCU Legacy Bowl uh, last year. So, I'm, I'm not sure – I'm not sure where he's playing now, but definitely a prime candidate to play in the, in the USFL or XFL. Um, so, I mean, definitely a strong lineage of, of good running backs for NCAA and T. So, I'm also – for my next player, I'm going to go uh, – I'm going to go with another running back also, too, because, you know, we know college football, the, the Heisman is a quarterback-centric award now. I'm going to go with LaDamian Webb out of South Alabama, who's is averaging over 100 yards per game and had 124 yards on 16 touches versus UCLA for uh, South Alabama. I mean, you kind of wish with the uh, efficiency like that, he has 51 carries and is averaging over six yards a carry. You kind of wish with more efficiency that the Jaguars would feed him the ball now, by feeding the ball more, excuse me. But the Jaguars look primed to be, honestly, a bowl team and could honestly take uh, take their division in the Sun Belt. Um because the way it is, the uh, the Sun Belt East is looking really stacked. The West, Louisiana looks, uh, I wouldn't say vulnerable, but this isn't the same Louisiana we've watched the past two seasons. So realistically, any team out on the West could make a move. Well, not any team, but a team in the West could make a move to, uh, you know, make some noise out there in the Sun Belt and make the championship game. So uh, Damian Webb's definitely got to watch. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, South Alabama has any weeknight games, any weeknight Sunbelt game, but definitely a team to watch out of the group five. Yeah, absolutely, man. No, uh, I mean, a guy that you know we've watched and, and kept an eye on for sure. So that'll be that'll be awesome to see this week. 
I'll go with, with my last guy, uh, Davis Brent, the quarterback from Tulsa, right? Um, so he's actually right now the, the leader in all of college football for passing touchdowns and passing yards. And he's doing it with only one interception. Um, a, a really tough loss to a Wyoming team that's kind of confusing in hindsight because of how decimated Wyoming was uh, by the transfer portal. They had so many guys leave, right? And then Tulsa is like, looking pretty good, especially in the passing game, like second in the nation in passing. So it like doesn't really make much sense. Um, They barely beat Northern Illinois. They're coming off of blowing out Jacksonville State. Maybe they should from this past week. Um, Man, his game for Eastern versus Ole Miss on the SEC Network, this is an Ole Miss defense who's only allowing four points a game. It's a chance to be slowed down or a chance to really show what he's made of versus a very tough SEC defense. I'm not saying Tulsa has like a legitimate shot. Don't get me wrong. This will be a very unexpected upset. This isn't one of those like group of five power five games or like they're on an even surface. Like they're not. Ole Miss is just better than Tulsa. There's no way around it, but it's still like, we can still see what he's made up with the passing game. I'm not going to be looking like I'm not going to like not watch the game and see, Oh, he only had like 250 yards. Like, okay, clearly it's like not made of anything legitimate. Like you kind of, it's one of those games, like you're going to have to watch the game. You're going to have to see more of the ball placement and decision-making and the accuracy to like really get a feel of like what Davis is like going to be made of against competition. He might see at the next level. Right. So, um, so we'll see. One thing that I really like about him, though, he does have like some great receivers and like there's a clear leader on that Tulsa offense. But he's been there are like seven receivers on that team that have at least double digit catches, which is like unusual for this early in the year. So um, hopefully he can spread the ball around, force Ole Miss to play like some type of, you know, zone or at least like thin them out in man to man with a, like a cover two to where like they actually have to cover everyone. It's not like their Z and Ys are going to be used as like decoys or clear routes. Like they actually have to like cover everyone. Right. Um, so that, that's really like his best shot is like, Hey, getting through his reads quickly. Hopefully the Tulsa offense can go against the Ole Miss, you know, rush and like just get the ball out quick, make the right decision. It's going to be a tough game, but if anyone's up for it, Hey, at least this year, it seems like it's Davis. So. Yeah, Davis Brin has he, I mean, he's experienced, played last started all of last year, replaced uh New Orleans breaker great Zach Smith uh, at quarterback. But um, if I mean if you remember Tulsa in their, you know, in their peak in 2020, what were they known for? Zavon Collins. Um, you know, won the won the, I think the Bednarik Award, Bednarik Award for best linebacker, and it was almost unanimous. Like he was by far the best player, best defensive player in college football in the 2020 pandemic season. Like he was the best. But now, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to see Davis Brand and the offense get some love out there for Tulsa. You know, like you said, that shootout against Wyoming, a thrilling game. Uh, I don't know if he can go throw for throw, you know, with Ole Miss, you know, uh, you know, I guess drive, score for score for score, excuse me, with Ole Miss. But this is a Tulsa offense that's better equipped to face, you know, say the Memphises of their conference, you know, the SMUs. They're better equipped for sure now uh, with another year of experience with Davis Brin. So, I mean, I really like um, Brin as well. You know, definitely not my uh, not my American, not my favorite American conference quarterback. Nothing against Brin. I mean, there's a there's another guy on both of our minds that, you know, we're probably going to talk about later on, you know, in detail. But, yeah, Brin is experienced and ready to lead Tulsa to, you know, another another bowl appearance, honestly. So, uh, I, oh, you got something, Jack? No, I was just going to say, like, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing how he handles the challenge. That, like, 3.30, 4 o'clock slate is definitely, like, one of the weaker ones this week. I'll be watching Florida, Tennessee, but, like, definitely trying to keep an eye on there, especially if it's close. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, uh, I haven't made my schedule yet, you know, but uh, <laughs> something I still got to do. But for sure, um, going on to my last guy. Uh, I think a game, I guess, that should be on everyone's schedule is James Madison versus App State. You have sort of two different eras of FCS powerhouses, you know, you know, our former FCS powerhouses playing against one another in the same conference. Uh, everyone, everyone loves the Sun Belt now because the Sun Belt is sort of that last kind of that last frontier of what what made what makes college football special with these regional rivalries and everything. 
And so you have Todd Santeo, who is quietly having a great year, probably one of the best, one of the best years so far for uh, any quarterback in FBS. He's got 400. Well, first off, I'll just say Todd Santeo is a six-year senior. He's very well-traveled. If the name's familiar, he played for both Temple. He played for Temple and Colorado State. Started for Colorado State last year in the last year of the uh, Steve Adazio tenure, a very disastrous two-year run for the Rams. But, you know, he's had a great year so far this year. You know, 452 yards, nine touchdowns passing, 139 yards rushing. And it's like, honestly, I think Centeo can get himself a lot of good publicity with the win against App State because App State is, is America's darling. You know, they beat Texas A&M. They had the wild game against North Carolina. Excuse me. And now they they just came off a miracle, the miracle in the mountain part two. So everyone's talking about about App State. It's like what better way to get not only national attention but potentially a dark horse Heisman campaign than beating Appalachian State after all this hype, you know? So definitely a game to watch out. Todd Santeo is a name to to listen it. And again, like Luke McCaffrey, another redemption story. Six year senior at his third school, and he's just lighting it up out there for James Madison. Yeah, absolutely. App State, a team that got a lot of attention this past week with uh, with College Game Day heading down to, to Boone. Uh, Luke Combs being the guest picker, which was awesome to see. Um, but yeah, uh, this is an App State team that just has some, like, no other way to put it, like just luck on their side. Um, running the the Big Ben Hail Mary play, if you listen to the College Game Day podcast as well, you, you heard Reese Davis talk a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to see there's no other way to explain it for app state we'll see how they can face up versus jmu they didn't necessarily deserve to win their game against troy so i don't know if we'd be talking about it if that ridiculous play didn't happen but it's certainly something that we'll keep an eye on and hey if app state is like legit like if like if these cotton bowl projections that include appalachian state are like accurate then this, this is like, this is, should be an easy win, right? Like this shouldn't be, there shouldn't be much doubt. This shouldn't look like an even matchup. Like we can leave Troy up to luck, but like James Madison, we should like kick out of the water. So, um, or blow out of the water, I guess, rather is the proper phrase. Um, I'll go I mean, I mean James Madison though, James Madison though, is like, uh, they, they are well-equipped to, uh, they were probably like one of the most well-equipped teams to make that FBS jump in recent memories, you know, cause they, uh, you know, they made their, they made title game appearances and everything. Um, no, made you're deep not, runs you're not wrong. You're not wrong. App State is being. I've we've talked about predictions on bowls and booths where they're playing USC in in Jerry World. Like that's that's is not that level. So, um, like if if we're serious about putting App State in that like New Year Six category, this is a game that they like have to eat, like win comfortably. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. But no, if they're I, not, I would if agree they're with content that. going to, I, I don't have the the automatic bids in front of me. But whatever bowl game is like not New Year's six, but like not being played two weeks before Christmas, then awesome. Like cool. That's great. But like if like we're serious about them being up there and like playing playing USC, then then yeah, they should they should win this. That's that's where I'm getting at. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I mean, no, no hate towards James Madison. Like James Madison no, no, not should be all. up there soon. Yeah, they should I'm be up there saying, soon. Like, no, I, not a, not a, no hate to James Madison. I'm just saying that you know that they should be absolutely should be on a different level if we're if we're right. okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree with that. Then. Yeah. I, I I definitely agree with that. Definitely. Definitely. Nice man. Um, we'll go ahead. We'll go with uh, the games to watch. I mean, we've touched on a couple of them with our players to watch, right? But we'll get a little bit more specific in these for our games to watch. Um, I'll start off with my game, uh, South Carolina State, North Carolina, AT&T. Uh, I talked a little bit about Bishol. A&T, A&T Jackson. A&T. What did I say? You said AT&T. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That's the second time you said I, I, I can't. I'm asleep by now, typically. Yeah. Sorry, man. Uh, I can't let you say that again, bro. Versus North Carolina, A and T, not AT and T. Man, NC A and T, brutal start to the season. Um, I mean, it's hard to not have one when you like go against North Dakota State and like a Power Five team in Duke, right? Uh, but they they dropped their first game of the year to like North Carolina Central. I mean, they just beat a ranked New Hampshire team, but like 
still it's been like a very rough start kind of like army where like there's still hope to like salvage the year but you just like look terrible in the first couple weeks um south carolina state rough loss to ucf i don't know what else we were really expecting um but uh but then they you know hey they beat bethune cookman 33 to 9 and then they had a really early bye week where they were off last week um man special teams special teams is something i want to talk about with this matchup it's been a strength for south carolina state don't let the meme pages fool you uh south carolina state has had some good special teams this year uh, but they've been a struggle for for NCA and T, um, especially on the kickoff return unit. It's just not been pretty. Um, as far as the the other phases of the game, when, when South Carolina State offense and like the North Carolina A and T defense, kind of how that matches up. Man, NCA and T, they have to get a, get off the field on third down. They're they're giving up seventy eight percent of third downs, which is just like you're not going to win any games when you're giving up 78% of your third downs. And I, on the other side, South Carolina state has to stay on the field on third down. They're only averaging about 12.5% this year. So it's, we talk about strength on strength. I hate to say this is kind of a weakness on a weakness, right? Uh, but where their strengths are, man, South Carolina state needs to stick with running the ball. They haven't been able to average even hundred yards really in the passing game. So, Hey, let's accept your identity. Let's make it a strength. Let's be a run first team. They got Kendrell Flowers, the freshman. They've got Ja'Cory Benson, Alex James, running back by committee with those three guys. And hey, let's just ground and pound and control the clock and control the, the time of possession. Uh, for North Carolina AT&T versus on, when they're on offense versus South Carolina State, man, uh, North Carolina AT only like two receivers with 10 catches, right? So like they, they know who their receivers are. It's not really going to be like a, you know, the slot or anything like that. They're not going to have their fourth or fifth guy out there and make a huge impact. So, hey, hand it off to Bishul, who we've talked about. And, I mean, overall, they are a balanced offense on paper. Like, they're averaging, uh, like, right around 150, 150 yards each in the passing and the running game, 156 and 146, respectively, or 154 and 146, respectively. But, Man, same thing, same advice I'd give to South Carolina State. Run the ball first, and off the visual seems to be your most talented back. And uh, hey, control the clock and and uh, hope that South Carolina State, you know, can't get uh, can't get off or stay on the field on third down. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned um, you know the loss to a North Carolina Central for A and T. I mean. Everyone talks about, you know, the Aggie Eagle Classic, you know, especially with them getting that shimmer out there at Bank of America Stadium. But make no mistake about it, I, I saw something on Twitter, some uh, some NCAA and T fans on Twitter talking. I'm sure uh, Dwayne, our friend, uh, our good friend Dwayne from the Yard HBCU can can attest to this. Um, South Carolina State may be a bigger rival to uh, NCAA and T from, from what I've heard, from what I read on Twitter. I mean, these, these schools have played every year since the 20s, almost. Um, and there's, there's no love lost. I mean – what better way for NCANT to uh, sort of get the season back on track than beating, uh, you know, Buddy Pugh and his tough South Carolina State team. So definitely uh, a, a great measuring stick game for both schools and a great rivalry too, which I'm not sure how often we'll see it, you know, with uh, NCANT moving to the Colonial Athletic Association, which is going to have 15 football members. So you can imagine that there's probably only going to be like two spots for Fs for excuse me, for FCS non-conference games, one of the non-conference games being a FBS paycheck game. So definitely something to watch there. Uh, enjoy that rivalry while you can. So uh, for my first game, I know we handed about, um, you know, a certain American Athletic Conference quarterback that we we both like a lot. We talked about Mike Pratt leading up to the Oklahoma game last year, and he almost did the unthinkable. He almost helped Tulane do the unthinkable, which is even more mind-blowing now after you think, after you remember that Tulane went two and 10 last year uh, on the road at Norman, almost beat, they, he came a yard short of, a, of converting a fourth down with under two minutes to play and uh, continuing uh, Tulane's game winning drive. So 
Definitely something that haunts Tulane fans, but Tulane this weekend will host Southern Miss, and they are looking for their first 4-0 start since 1998. In 1998, Tulane went 12-0 and went to the Liberty Bowl in the first year of the BCS, but the BCS was not yet equipped to, uh, to I guess, factor in, you know, Conference USA schools and schools in uh, in the uh, Group of Five. Well, not the Group of Five back then, but the uh, non-automatic qualifying conferences. So the near six participant, too, has come from the American Conference every year since 2017. That streak is highly in jeopardy with Cincinnati looking very human this year and Houston off to a disappointing start. Um, so Tulane looks like one of the last hopes for the American conference uh, to last in the last meeting too. this one. Uh, this one's an interesting one. Interesting tidbit for me. Uh, Tulane ran for 427 yards and seven touchdowns in the last meeting 2020. Rumor has it that Cameron Carroll is still running in Hattiesburg to this day. He had 15 carries for 163 yards and a 32 yard receiving touchdown in that game. Now Tulane's offense looks a bit different now. They switch offensive coordinators. They aren't running as much option concepts nowadays. Um, they're really letting Michael Pratt shine as a passer. But despite the scheme change, the slight scheme change, Michael Pratt has much improved as a runner this year with 20 non-sack rushes for 149 yards compared to having 152 uh, rushing yards. I guess I guess I was too lazy to count to count for sacks in 2020, but he, ha- he only had 152 rushing yards in 2020 with sacks and 229 with sacks in 2021. Pratt also, of course, has known for 658 yards and six touchdowns passing. Uh, Southern Miss, you know, they're a bit, I mean, I think they're, they're solid on defense, 23 points per game, but this is a team in the middle of a rebuild. And a team that's looked better this year now that they're not using 10 different quarterbacks, including Frank Gore Jr. taking snaps. So it should be an intriguing game. I don't think Tulane takes this one easily. I think they're 13-point they're favorites. I think Southern Miss covers, honestly. Um, but again, like Tulane should not be looking ahead to conference play. This is this this could be dangerous if they look ahead. But Tulane, as we mentioned on Bowls and Booze, uh, Sports Illustrated has them projected for the Cotton Bowl against Penn State, a 1979 Liberty Bowl rematch. And even better, I mean, a school like Tulane with all the odds stacked against them in the American being probably, you know, the best academic school for now in the conference, you know, just one of the great uh, one of the great stories of college football this year, especially with their win against Kansas State. Absolutely. No, uh, no Southern Miss to the top on this one. You know, hey, we'll see how it plays out. You're right, though, man. It's amazing that Tulane was that close to beating Oklahoma, like a very good team last year when they went two and ten. They weren't the powerhouse that we uh, that we thought that, that they would be. We're a year early to, to the Pratt train. So to the Pratt hype train. But yeah, man, uh, excited to excited to keep that one. Omar, what what time and where can we watch that one on on there? Or do you have it in front of you? I do. That game will be uh, 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Okay. Um, okay. I thought it was on ESPN+, yeah. Plus, but I was like, I know they've got that, like, awkward. I think I'm still thinking of their CUSA days. I was going to say, like, CBS Sports Network. I know they used to be on that a pretty good bit, yeah, but, but I um, forgot they made the move. Yeah. Um, I'll go with my next game. We talked a little bit – or you talked a little bit earlier about, about USF. Uh, USF at Louisville this week um new and eastern on on rsn and it feels it feels a little bit like a panic game for both teams um usf is coming off of a high right they almost beat like a ranked florida team on the road if they drop this one they're one and three with two double digit double digit losses like a very bad start to the year even by usf standards and if louisville loses they're one and three with five ranked teams left on the schedule, like could easily drop to like one in eight and end up your season, like very, like by a wide margin missing bowl season. Right. Um, Cause they've got those five uh, Clemson, North Carolina state Pitt, wake force. And they've also got Kentucky at the end of the year. So like a very difficult schedule left. Um, it's kind of confusing. Like we talked a lot about Malin Cunningham and like all the talent he has, like he's having success on the ground, but like still, still three interceptions and then like three more fumbles that like, thankfully weren't lost, but like still a concern. Um, only two receivers at this point with over a hundred yards, which like you're, you know, we're almost through September. It, it, you should have, you should have at least a third. Um, and then their leading rusher outside of Malik Cunningham, Tyron Evans, is, is hurt for this week. Um, so it's like a, it's a very difficult time for Louisville. USF is like facing like it, it's got man, it's gonna be tough to make bowl season if you start out one and three, right? 
Um, so both teams' strength is running the ball. Both teams just, I mean, really just need to stick with doing that, right? And if you dedicate yourself long enough to it, even if you're behind, you're eventually going to wear down that front six to seven where you can, you know, set up play action down the road. Um, and, and I think that's going to be easier for USF, honestly. I mean, I saw every snap of them last week. They looked great. They really controlled the clock and controlled the game where Florida was only able to run like 20 plays in the first half. And Louisville head coach Scott Satterfield, man, he even told the media like, hey, this is like probably the best offensive line we're like going against so far at this point in the season. So it's a strength. It's a more of a strength for USF than it is for Louisville. They really need to tap in figure out whatever they need to do in the playbook to get Billy Cunningham like a little bit more involved and a little bit more successful um, because that obviously, man, he's talented. Like that doesn't just fall on the league. Like there are some bad decisions there occasionally, but and it, you, you got to put your players in situations to win. Right. So um, I'm excited to see it. I, I hate, I feel like I've been like much more negative on this podcast than I usually am, but I'm excited to, I mean, I am excited to see this one. So um, it's, you know, I talk about the downside, the upside of winning this game is like, Hey, this could really be like a turning point for either team for USF. They were like right there versus a ranked team last week. They could get a very good win versus a Louisville team. We all had high hopes for and for Louisville. Okay. You know what? We started out early September bad, but we're turning the page here. So, and you could, you could break even at two and two. So yeah, I mean, I think it's more of a red flag game for Louisville and as USF because we, as we mentioned, USF had low expectations in the American. Uh, they're still kind they of like did. a year away. They did, but what do you think their fans were thinking? Like, you know, about halfway through the night versus Florida, you know, like, man, we could beat a ranked team on the road and like beat the university, like the flagship school of Florida for the first time, like ever, you know. Um, so. I, I think the low expectations for USF kind of died off, you know, around, uh, around eight, uh, around eight or 9 PM local time. So last Saturday, even then, like if, even if they lose to, to Louisville, if they play a competitive game, there is nothing to be ashamed of for that program. Like, like this year, like, um, you know, looking forward to like, especially now, like USF could be in a position to take UCF spot in the American where they are, you know, let's see. I mean, yeah, FAU is going to join the American, going to join the American, but like they are alone in that central Florida area, that central Florida region. Yes, I call it a central Florida because Tampa is technically like Tampa is yeah, more not north than Orlando. Florida. We're all confused by it. It doesn't make yeah, sense. Like, but yeah. So, so, but yeah, like they, they, they have that area of Florida to themselves. Um, FAU is in a crowded uh, Miami area to recruit in, you know, with Miami and FIU, but. Um, yeah, like USF could end up being like, you know, I'm not going to say like U- UCF, but it'll be easier for them to succeed with UCF out of the way. Um, so yeah, very intriguing game. And also a big, e- a good old Big East matchup, two former Big East schools playing together. It's, it's like, it's 2007 again. I, I love it. Um, on to my next game, you know, uh, the best quarterback you've never heard of is in the Bronx. It, he's in the Bronx. He's in New York. And I'm not talking about uh, Daniel Jones or uh, Joe Flacco. I'm talking about Tim Demora, the Josh Allen of the B train, where he has 1,302 yards and 16 touchdowns in only three games. Last year, believe it or not, like he's almost halfway on track to uh, to equaling last year's, his passing over from last year. Last year he had a great year as well. He had 3,214 yards for thir- and uh, 31 touchdowns for the Rams. Fordham is averaging over 49 points per game. And they're allowing their, their defense allows 42 points per game. This week they play Ohio. Last year, Ohio let Duquesne win uh, the end the Northeast Conference's first game against FBS opponent. Um, Duquesne, of course, did not win the Northeast Conference. You know, it's kind of in the middle of, pa- of the pack there in that conference. So Ohio looks kind of vulnerable. Their offense has not really been clicking so far this year. I know they beat FAU in the first game, but playing against uh playing against Penn State, playing against Iowa State. You know, the momentum hasn't really been there. And I mean, the 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 offense, you know, it might be a shootout. And I, I just don't know if uh, Ohio is equipped to, uh you know, win a shootout. But the key matchup here in this game is Ohio defensive line, you know, against pretty much Fordham's offensive line and um and Tim DeMorat. As Ohio has nine sacks in three games, including five sacks against Penn State. And we saw what Penn State can do uh on the, you know, in the, you know, in the in the trenches against Auburn last week. So, or yeah, I guess last Saturday. So 
Definitely an intriguing game. A game that looks like, you know, a prime, another prime FCS, excuse me, over FBS win. And it could mean two wins for the uh, for the Patriot League over the MAC. Of course, with Holy Cross winning on the Hail Mary against Buffalo uh, on September 10th. But if Fordham wins this game, you could very well see uh, Fordham and Holy Cross being, you know, each other's only loss where either Holy Cross loses or Fordham loses. Both teams are about, you know, 10 and 1 or 11 and 0. Um, in conference and you have the Patriot League sending two teams to the FCS playoffs for the first time since 2015. Um, this game will be seen at tw- at 2 p.m. Eastern time at, um, on ESPN Plus, but definitely an upset pick to see uh, for sure. And definitely like it should be a shootout. There should be some fireworks. Absolutely, man. High, uh, high offense is what we what everyone loves to watch, right? Um, so it, hopefully we get that this week and, uh, that the things were telling us that, you know, Hey, we're to watch this stuff. Cause that's not always, those aren't on the promos during college game day. Right. So sometimes you kind of have to dig for it a little bit. So thanks for, thank you for, uh, for bringing that up. And, um, I'll go ahead and go with, with my last game. I'm going to go ahead and go with, uh, again, we talked a little about a little bit earlier again, USC and Oregon state. Um, I'm not necessarily predicting Oregon State to win, but I will say this, Oregon State has some serious depth. They have five different receivers with touchdowns. They have six different players with rushing touchdowns, four different players with INTs and two different players with forced fumbles, right? So like deep on both sides of the ball, as far as like guys that can be productive in major categories. Um, They're also expecting a sold out crowd. They're actually selling standing room only tickets. Uh, for uh, for Reeser Stadium. I don't think there are too many people traveling from LA for the game either, right? So I think it's going to be all Oregon State fans, all a sea of they're actually wearing like orange this week, right? So it's going to be like all orange and black in the stands. Um, it, for Oregon State's best chance to win, man, um, keep Jack Coletto on the field whenever you can. On, on fourth and shorts, they put their inside linebacker on, on the field as a fullback, you know, get some extra yardage, scored the game-winning touchdown this time expired versus Fresno State, and then last week had a couple fourth and ones on there that he uh, that he converted, right? So make the offense aware that, hey, you've got three plays to get us nine yards, and we're going to have Jack Coletto go to all Troy Anderson and go get the rest himself as the inside linebacker. So I'm excited to see. It uh, does kick off at 9.30 Eastern time, so it is going to be a little bit of a late game where – you know, excited to keep track of it. So. Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm almost like I want, I mean, I kind of want Oregon State to win this game, but I just, I'm more, oh, I do too. I'm more yeah. intrigued. Yeah. Like the thing is though, it's like, I'm kind of torn because I want, I would, I would much rather have Oregon State make their first Rose Bowl since 1967 than have them make the playoff, you know? So it's like, I'm hoping they beat USC. It's definitely a program to find a win, but I, I kind of hope they like slip up along the way and end up making the Rose Bowl. Uh, because for me, as a, I'm a college football purist, I just love the Rose Bowl so much that I want teams with their droughts to be broken. And in the context of college football, like a Rose Bowl like appearance, honestly, I feel like means more than a playoff appearance in a weird way, because like we don't have the stats like, hey, this is going to be their first playoff since like 1952. Like we don't have that. Right. So we weren't even playing a national championship not that long ago. We were just like voting on it. So um, I think it certainly like means something that Rose Bowl has been around almost as long as college football itself has. So, Hey, if they can get a Rose Bowl appearance, that'd be a lot better than getting blown out, you know, 62 to three against Ohio state or Alabama. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and again, like with the, uh, with the expanded playoff, it remains to be seen, uh, where the Rose Bowl stands in college football nowadays. So, um, def- definitely like a, a crossroads for college football, but we'll see where it will. I mean, what happens to the game? Uh, moving on to my last game, uh, we have just a huge statement game out in the CAA. We have an undefeated. We have a clash of undefeated of unbeaten's. We got Delaware at three and zero playing Hampton at three and zero. Hampton has not really been tested. They've beaten Tuskegee. They've beaten Howard, and they've beaten Norfolk State. But honestly, like this is the biggest game in Hampton's young time as a, as a Colonial Athletic Association member. Uh, Delaware, of course, being one of the flagship schools in the Colonial Athletic Association. They have multiple national titles to their name. Just a rich tradition out there in FCS. And, of course, they beat Navy on the road already um, to begin their season. They're coming off a fresh blowout against a ranked Rhode Island team 
ranked, of course, ranked in the FCS polls. They blow out Rhode Island. So just a team that looks primed to be a favorite in the CAA, especially after James Madison has lost. Uh, Johnny Buchanan is leading up Delaware defense that's allowing 12 points per game so far in this young season. He has 42 tackles in three games, looks primed to have a, over 100 tackles this season, possibly even over 120 if he continues on the pace he's on. Hampton, Hampton's offense has their work cut out for them after a 17-7 performance against Norfolk State where the offense didn't look as crisp. Of course, uh, the offense is not is no longer led by Jet Duffy, the Texas Tech transfer who played in the HBCU Pigskin Showdown who uh, really led a strong offense last year and also signed a picture for uh, for my 11-year-old brother, which I'm grateful for. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it's, it's a strong game. And, and again, like, for if, they, if Hampton beats Delaware, I think it kind of just validates their decision to leave not just the MEAC but the Big South for arguably one of the strongest conferences in FCS football. So that's my last big game. I got a couple quick hitters, too, just uh, before you – before we uh, say our closing thing. So a couple more games to watch. Uh, won't go as much into detail. You got Cornell versus Yale. Uh, you have Cornell hosting Yale. Yale had lost 38 to 14 against Holy Cross. Holy Cross had only beaten Yale five times in over 30 meetings. And the 24-point loss to Holy Cross was the worst loss by Yale to Holy Cross in the series' history and the first loss by more than by more than two possessions since 1967's 26-14 win for the Crusaders over Yale. So a, a thing to watch there. Cornell, on the other hand, had a historic, had a very historic weekend. They beat VMI on the road. They were the first Ivy League team to beat a Southern Conference team since 1939. Yes, the FDR administration and the first Ivy League team to win on the road versus the SOCON. So as Big Cat would say, this league, you know, so, uh, you know, just a great game, a great measuring stick for Cornell. And it might be time if, uh, if Yale ends up losing to Cornell, um, you know, it might be time to kind of like wave some uh, some warning flags out there in New Haven. Another last, uh, my last uh, quick hitter is out here in Las Cruces, an hour away from me. Uh, you have New Mexico State hosting Hawaii and New Mexico State is favored as a four point favorite, I believe, over Hawaii. They're favored at home. And uh, New Mexico State has never beaten the Rainbow Warriors in 10 meetings. That could change this weekend. They have never even lost to them by one score. Their closest loss is an 11-point loss in, I think, 2011. So history making you could have a history-making game out there in Las Cruces. Uh, definitely rooting for the Aggies there. And Hawaii, uh, no offense to our, our great friend Brock, but uh, they, looked, they did not look, look very... I guess, convincing against Duquesne last week, like Duquesne hang around in a 24-14 victory on an island. Um, so it was tough. It was tough. I mean, I, the game kicked off at midnight Eastern time, so I didn't get to watch it, but from everything yeah. I saw about it, uh, uh, that's like you want to win yeah, that convincingly. So it's a rebuild. It's a rebuild, yeah, but, you know, is. we're it always is. rooting for them. Yeah. So those Even are my, next those they've been lost games. to Louisiana Monroe's first year of Bama, right? So – yeah, exactly. So um, we could have a situation there, a ULM type of ULM beating Alabama situation. Mexico State beats Hawaii. Um, so, yeah, so those are my two quick hits. Um, Jackson, do you have anything final to add for this podcast? If we were big enough to have any haters, the headline would be like, Jackson compares Timmy Chang to Nick Saban. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> No, uh, nothing, man. I just can't believe, like, dude, we're going to be, like, a third through the season after this week, which is the third through the regular season, which is insane. Um, so, it's a football always flies by. Uh, Izzy would beg to disagree, but um, but I'm, I'm excited, to, excited to see it. And hopefully we can, like, it feels like it's so early, but, like, we're at the point of the season, like, we should be, like, establishing identities. Like, we should know who we are at this point after this week. So, Hopefully these final teams that we kind of have some questions about, we can, we can get answers to. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, again, I, I don't want to think about already being a third of the season already, but um, shoot, here we are. But um, yeah, I'm excited for this weekend. As always got a great slate of games, you know, wherever you look uh, FBS, FCS, division two, II, division three, NAIA, for goodness sakes, you know, just uh, it's football to be watched. And I just ask that you, that you do watch it. So uh, till next time, everyone, uh, we'll be back, you know, just, uh, you know, no longer have, uh, have, I guess, have, I guess, duties for, uh, for Uncle Sam, I guess, uh, you know, that'll bring me out to the desert. So I'm excited. And until next time, peace, love, and soul, everyone.